listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 207, Quatermass. And coming to you from the suburbs of Chicago, where Wednesday night is taco night. I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John Quatermass. Quatermass. (laughs) Matola. (laughs) Yeah, it's hearkening back to the days where we mispronounced it quarter mass. And well, con- corrected. Probably on our, I think hmm. it was on our first episode. It was the first correction. Uh, but I'm not sure the that last. if Rich was listening back in the day, he would have jumped right to it. Well, I don't know. That's the thing. Like, Quater Mass was one of those bands that you would just see on these websites when you'd look up things about Deep Purple. And. Hmm. You know, they have the family tree and all that sort of stuff. And you just, it was one of those things like Captain Beyond. And you just be like, well, what the hell is that? <laughs> I never, and well, I guess the the big thing was there was a big British show called Quatermass. So people mm-hmm. know about it from that. But um, yeah, I, I had no idea how to pronounce it. So yeah, me either. I didn't even know it was a thing until we started this show. And it's not like they're singing about, about themselves. We are Quatermass. No, 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 no. <laughs> what, what is it? Some kind of like seventies variety act? Yeah, it's like a, a folk, a folk, uh, folk song. Oh, mass. So, would you have tacos? Yeah, we had taco night. My taco kid, Wednesday. My kids were my kids were at were skating, and then they came back to some tacos. And like, but it's not Tuesday. I'm like, you can have. We just call it white people taco night. You've heard that song, right? White people taco night. <laughs> you haven't heard it? No. Oh, it's great. I'll have to put it at the end of the episode. Okay. It's just white people taco night. It's just about how white people have tacos. Um, you know, how, how we make our tacos. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, yeah, we just call no, it white people taco night around our house. Oh, that actually sounds good. Maybe I'll have, like, taco Thursday tomorrow. It's sounding pretty good. Yeah, it's it, it, it was good. We got the nice little street taco shells, the little ones that are nice and soft. And yeah. uh, you know, some, did some seasoned beef and uh, guacamole, sour cream, pico de gallo, some cotilla yeah. cheese. Fantastic. Do you, um, Fresh do you have um, do you have those little do you have those little ridge things? So you're really white. And so you just put them in the holders like that. Like I don't know. <laughs> I don't have any. No. That's why I saw a meme or something like that, where it's just like, yeah, you know, you know, you're white if like taco night includes this and and a little taco holder or something like that. (laughs) It's like, yeah, because, but anyways, yeah. Uh, Although I haven't been cooking a lot lately, so I'll probably just go out for Mexican. There you go. (laughs) Get some takeout tacos. Mm, That works Yeah. Well, either way, I mean, it's, it's hard to, it's hard to screw up tacos, whether you're getting them out or making them in. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's kind of like pizza. Even bad pizza is good. Generally, usually, sometimes mm. it can. Sometimes it can be bad. I don't know. Remember, lest we forget the main pizzeria review. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> mm. It's it's a hard food to mess up really bad. It's not impossible, but. right? So um, some that's better than others. But anyway, 
This so, isn't the food podcast. Yeah. <laughs> hey, this we're not isn't the to, food cast. We're not here to, this is, yeah, that would, that's what we would name our, our food podcast. The food podcast. <laughs> that's how creative we are. <laughs> <laughs> A big F. We talk about all sorts of culinary delights here on the food podcast. Um, yeah, these people would be easily be able to find us like, the Deep Purple podcast. Exactly. When they're looking for, they're like, they just Google food. <laughs> I'm looking for food. Oh, there's a podcast about it. I'm going to learn a lot. Of- <laughs> I've heard of people Googling like recipes, but who just like, let me just Google food and see what comes I, I up. I like, hearing people talk about it. this food. I got to find out what this is about so I can be in the know. I can carry on conversations <laughs> with people. <laughs> Ah, you put it in here. (laughs) You put it in this big (laughs) hole in the front of your head. (laughs) Uh, Interesting. I'm learning a lot. Um, But hey, folks, as John said, we are not the food podcast. We are the Deep Purple podcast. And our podcast is 100% listener supported and ad free. So, hey, if you receive some value from our show, please consider giving us some value back. You can do so a number of ways. One is by leaving us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. That gets you a run on any one of a number of percussion instruments that have laid fallow here by my side because we haven't had a, a new review in a while um, you can buy some merch at our Etsy store which has been bumping this past week we sold a couple shirts and a mug which is the busiest week we've had in a while so thanks to yeah, Mark when you and said, Adam for making sold, those purchases yeah when you said we sold something I was just like whoa it's like it's like that scene in Ghostbusters. We got one. <laughs> I was so so excited. That's what you should do. Fly fly in that clip the next time somebody buys something. Yeah, yeah you should. Yeah, Janine's just been sitting there filing her nails in the office, and then we finally got an order. So she she snapped into action, printed up some shipping labels, and got those off. So thanks to yeah, the other one came in. I think in the middle of us recording our other show, so our last show, I should say. Um, so yeah, you can buy some merch or Etsy star, you can become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. That gets us gets you exclusive access to our rating spreadsheet and our patrons-only Discord, so you can join in the discussion. Um, you can also donate on dollar sign DPPOD on Cash App or support us on Ko-fi. Um, we would love to uh, get that and put it right back into the show and uh, buy albums like the one we're going to talk about in a little bit. And um, speaking of folks who support our show, um, coming in at the executive level, our executive level patrons at the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis, Nakvi, and Purple Maniac. At the 15 Squid tier, we have Alan Ain't Too Proud to Beg. At the 10 Pound Good Doctor tier, we have Dr. Jill Brees and Dr. Mike Catan. At the Turner up to $11 tier. We have Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard Mortensen, Mickelstein, and Will Porter. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, and Better Call Saul Evans. Thank you to all of you for your, your uh, generous, generous support of the Deep Purple podcast. Um, yeah, so uh, did you have uh, have something you wanted to, had wanted to set up for us? It is this is this the is this the the uh what we were talking about before the show? It is, yeah. Um how how would you how would you like me to set it up? I don't, do you need to set it up or should we just play it or like what I mean, all right, so Pops <laughs> Pops had a story uh that he wanted to uh that that happened and he he told me. <laughs> 
<laughs> right? <laughs> I mean, I can't I can't say it without yeah. basically telling you what he said. So, so yeah, Pop Pop's got some information from a from a friend of his or an acquaintance of his. Uh, um, some faulty some, some faulty some, information <laughs> that he that he quickly determined was faulty. So this is him telling John about it. And you, as soon as he start, he asked you about it, you started recording. So here we go. It's a very quick clip. One of the guys from Saga said, Freddie Mercury, uh, isn't he from Cape Cod? I said, what? He's freaking from Mauritania. What do you mean, Cape Cod? <laughs> yeah, but I thought he had a boat down there, didn't he? I, get out of here, will you? <laughs> so, <laughs> I love the fact that, yeah, so one of his friends from soccer. Yeah, <laughs> I thought Freddie Mercury was from Cape Cod. <laughs> said, and the thing is, I think he's he he like Pops likes to tell the same stories over and over. I think he like he likes to tell them because they're funny, or sometimes I think he forgets who he tells. But I think I've heard this one before because I know he's just like, yeah, this guy. He thought he thought Freddie Mercury had a a boat in Cape Cod. <laughs> well, that I would believe. That's believable. But yeah, the, but that he's from Cape Cod is kind of funny. It's like, but have you ever the heard most him rid- speak? He doesn't, yeah. <laughs> he doesn't sound like he's from Cape Cod. But one of the most like ridiculous things that anybody could say, it's just like, yeah, no, this is like the least believable thing I've ever heard in my life. <laughs> he's, I don't know. No, I, I think I would find it hard to believe that Freddie Mercury had a, a boat in Cape Cod. I, I would feel like, I don't know. I feel like um, it, it's like it's not... Um, like it's not sort of the the realm of possibility to be like, oh, Jay Leno has a, a house in Newport. It's like, yeah, OK, I could believe that. But I mean, it's I don't know. Freddie Mercury just seems too exotic to have like had anything anywhere like in New England. You know what I mean? Like well, Cape Cod's pretty know. nice. Oh, yeah. You'd think he'd have like a boat on the Amalfi Coast or something. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, it's just like, but, but the way he just dismissed it, the end, he's like, get out of here. Get out of here. <laughs> that, <laughs> that was perfect. The, the only possible reaction, but. Um, that was perfect. But hey, before we uh, move on, folks, we do have to take a moment for something. And that is Postcards from the Edge of Connecticut. And man, they're coming fast and furious. Last show, we had three postcards and I got three more <laughs> all dated oh, one boy. day apart. Um, uh, do, do any of them contain pictures of me on them by, <laughs> by um, any chance? One of them does. Um, um, <laughs> <laughs> even, oh, boy. So, um, so yeah, this, uh, they came another batch of three came in. They just they come in threes. Apparently, this one's from March 16th and it says, uh, this is a picture of John with uh, Ron Finn. Oh, yeah. Um, and it says, Nate, ye gads, Ron Finn. And then he, in parentheses, he put DLR question mark. Is he, <laughs> is he play with David Lee Roth? No, I think maybe because he kind of like looks like an older DLR with the oh, long yeah, hair. Oh, I can see that. Oh, maybe that's what he's doing. Okay. Uh, and DPP John for you this time from Pete. Yeah. So there you go. It's John and, and, and Ron Finn. The next day on St. Patrick's Day says, uh, this is a picture of a guitar against a wall with a bunch of posters. And it mm-hmm. says, Nate, happy St. Patrick's Day for you. Here's a bunch of <laughs> shows for you. And it's like uh, uh, different uh, posters, Bad Company, Elvis, Billy Joel, Elton John, a bunch of different stuff. And then um, finally... On March 18th, oop, this one is, oop, <laughs> I got it upside down. This is the uh, the sign you see on the highway that says discover, um, 
Discover beautiful Rhode Island. I think that's the picture that they sent us when they were, when him and the Roback were entering <laughs> Rhode Island on the way to meet me and Rich. That With their night. illegal firewood. It says, Nate, Rhode Island is calling calling you back for you. <laughs> Pete. <laughs> well, he's really getting creative with these foyas. Yes, and then it says hashtag end series. So that's the, the last of the six postcard series, apparently. So thank you, Pete. Always great to get some uh, some some mail and some postcards whenever I see anything postcard sized. It's either like a reminder from my dentist or it is from <laughs> Peter Gardo. <laughs> the only two people that send me postcards. <laughs> Uh, I think and I, I think I come in a distant third because I actually sent you that one from Boston. That's right. Yeah. Like, like yep. a, a couple of months ago or whatever. So. But I didn't think that um, doing this podcast would uh, would bring postcards back into my life because they really weren't a thing until we started mm. doing the show. Um, True. But OK, so we are here to talk about. Quatermass, which we talked about a little bit back. This is a very, this is a, this was a top requested episode for a while. Um, a lot of people wanting to see our take on it and get into it. And what, I, what do you know about Quatermass? Do you have any history with it? What's your, other than us mispronouncing it for many and, years? And a few years later, we, we hear your, we hear your request and we're doing it, people. That's all it takes. <laughs> Just start requesting something. And within the next four years, we might do it. <laughs> Um, uh, no, no history other than, uh, you know, our history with it on the show. Like you, you mentioning it, you trying to work it into every episode in the beginning and yeah. then just giving up. <laughs> we had a good streak of maybe 10 episodes, our first 10 episodes mm. where it got mentioned just every mentioning episode them. for some reason. Yeah. Um, it would come up. <laughs> I don't know why. <laughs> and then it um, just never came up mm. again. Yeah. So, I mean, uh, I, did you ever play? a clip or a song of them or anything? Yes, I, I think like, like early, early on, on, if you listen to our very, very first episodes, um, we would do this thing, well, I would do this thing where I took like a random song that's related to Deep Purple and would play it for John and get him, try to get him to guess what it was. Right, yeah. And then John was like, stop, let's stop doing that because I'm never going to guess these. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, I mean, they were too obscure. They right. I mean, you weren't you weren't throwing me any like uh, you weren't lobbing me any softballs as well. Oh, white snake or something. No, it's no, we kept it something kinda. crazy. But um, but yeah, no, I don't think. Um, yeah, th- that might be the only time that I've ever heard anything is when you would play either a song or you played a clip from them or clips. I can't remember back when we were discussing them more um, or you were bringing them up more. But that's that's pretty much it. I think you texted me the other day, like, who's who's in it? Or who was in the band? So I didn't even know that. Yeah, and I, this is one of those ones that got by me, and I, I didn't really hear for the first time until several years ago. Um, probably, I think it was. It probably was after we started doing the show, to be honest with you, and just started uh, digging into some of the stuff. Uh, the thing that really kind of roped me in was John Gustafson on bass and vocals, and I love, I love his voice, mm-hmm. I love his bass playing. Um, so there's John Gustafson, so obviously from Ian Gillen Band. Um, and then you've got Mick Underwood on drums, who is the drummer in Gillen. So you've got Gillen and Gillen, Ian Gillen Band connection. And then Mick Underwood also played with Richie and the Outlaws. And he also um, was in episode six. But I'll, I think he was in episode six after Gillen and Glover left, if I remember correctly. Um, mm. 
And then Pete Robinson on keyboards, uh, who was involved with Jesus Christ Superstar on an instrumental level and uh, went on to do a bunch of other stuff. So that's the that's the band. It's a very, you know, it's, it's, it's a trio, no guitar, just keyboards, bass, vocals, drums. Hmm. So interesting. And then there's about um, 500 credits for different cello and violin <laughs> players oh uh, which i won't get into although the cell the lead the band leader for the um for the uh orchestral stuff is paul buckmaster who did a ton of um orchestral work for the rolling stones david bowie elton john um so he's got like a really impressive resume he passed away in uh, 2017 um the engineer Andy Stevens. He worked. Uh, he doesn't have too many credits, but he did work with John Lennon and Yoko Ono on Plastic Ono Band. Um, and then Jeff Jarrett, who's an engineer at Abbey Road Studios, and the producer was Anders Henriksen. So I don't know if that name means anything to uh, uh, our good friend Jonathan, a Swedish music producer from Stockholm. Uh, he was recruited by George Martin in 1969 to join Abbey Road. Uh, and he worked there until 1972. So if you're good enough to work at Abbey Road, you probably know what you're doing. Um, that's the the kind of the lineup of all the folks involved. And then we get into the album art. So these the album cover, which may look familiar to you. Um, it's two buildings, it looks like, side by side with... Um, I, I, for, when I first saw this, I thought I thought it was like, uh, you're uh, you're looking at it sideways, but I think it's you're looking mm. at it from above, from below. You're looking up yeah. at two buildings, and there's three pterodactyls flying by. It's kind of a yeah. As soon as you as soon as you said that, I looked at it as we were looking up at it. But when I first saw it, it looked like it was a room with you know, almost like an attic or something. Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Like those are the the white is walls. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. Like it. Oh yeah, like an attic. Like uh, you're seeing like the uh, the studs. And like, yeah. The, oh, yeah, yeah. And like the slots in the floor. That is that's kind of interesting. And never looked at it that way before. Yeah, but it, it, I mean, on first looking at it, but it makes more sense. Uh, the What you said is, is that it, it, our point of view is, is that we're staring up because they're birds flying or in this case, uh, pterodactyls. <laughs> pterodactyls. Yeah. Oh, the I'm sorry. The P is silent. P- Pateri. Remember uh, Pee Wee's Playhouse? The, <laughs> what was that little like that little? That little uh, puppet that was like a that was a real dick. You know, what I'm <laughs> I talking? think that was ter- I think that was Terry. There was a pterodactyl. No, there was a pterodactyl named Terry, and I remember the little oh, puppet Terry. guy was like, "Hey, Terry," <laughs> and he was giving him a hard time, and then and then um, oh. and then Pee Wee um. came along, and he's like, "Hey, like it's the P is silent," and he's like, "Oh, okay, Ewee." <laughs> And then he like. <laughs> <laughs> All right, wait a minute. I gotta find out who that guy was. Yeah, what was his name? Who, he... who was the dick in Pee Wee's Playhouse? <laughs> Paul Rubens. <laughs> no. <laughs> um. All right. Yeah, I don't on. remember what that character's name was. He was just a um, little jerk. Did he have red hair? Yeah, he was like a like kind of a howdy doody character. Yeah, 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 yeah. That's a good way of putting it. Randy, yeah, there um, he is. Randy? Randy. Yeah, okay, that makes sense. I just typed in uh, jerk in Pee Wee's Playhouse and it came, Randy. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Like, I got Pee Wee's Playhouse characters and one of the top searches is people also ask, is, 
Is Pee Wee autistic? <laughs> they do. <laughs> Who's asking I mean, that? I, I guess. What was the, the next one? The next most asked question. What was the name of the cow on Pee Wee's Playhouse? What was the name of the cow? Was it Miss uh, something or other? No, that was Miss Yvonne. Cown, Cown, Countess. Countess. Oh, Countess. Huh. Yeah. That was a great show. You know that the Pee Wee Herman is a character, not a person. That was the... <laughs> He does not display the common signs of ASD. <laughs> Somebody Somebody's like, answering the question. Somebody actually answered it. They're just like, you do realize he's fiction, right? It's like, <laughs> oh, thanks. <laughs> I thought that was a real house that a guy lived in with a talking chair and yeah. a genie. So, so, <laughs> sounds like a real, a real answer. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Like, like, oh yeah, let me give you a, oh yeah, the genie. I was just like, what was his name? Genie. And then it's like, no, his, his name was Jombie. Oh, Jombie. That's right. Yeah, <laughs> like he come in and be like, "Hey, Jombie," <laughs> <laughs> and cha- the chair was cherry. Cherry, yeah, yeah. I can, I can see that. John, after as soon as we're done recording, John's gonna be firing up some Pee Wee's Playhouse. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I definitely am. Great Again, stuff. Cowboy so, Curtis was. Um, oh yeah, Lawrence L- Fishburne. Lawrence Fishburne. Yeah. I remember there was like a time where that was very like popular to talk about that because he was like doing the matrix and all this other high profile stuff. And they're like, you know, he started out as cowboy Curtis, right? You know, it's kind of like, so they would take him down a few pegs. Yeah, yeah, don't <laughs> don't take Morpheus like, you know, too seriously. Mor- yeah. He was Morpheus. It's like, he was also cowboy Curtis. <laughs> his best, his best role, obviously. Uh, yeah. So anyway, anyways, I don't know three- how we got to, Oh shit. I don't know how we get to Pee Wee's playhouse. Oh, the terror. The three Terry's, the three Terry's flying up, flying around. Yeah. There. Um, so yeah, weird, weird album cover, but, uh, definitely very early seventies looking. Yeah. Compelling, very compelling. And then when you go, there's a gatefold here. So you've got Ooh. Mick Underwood and half of John Gustafson's head. Um, and then you've got, um, on the, and then you've got just, you know, some credits, uh, then the lyrics for some of the songs. And then, uh, you've got the other half of John Gustafson's head and Peter Robinson, um, and this was this was on the Harvest label, which is what Deep Purple was on at this point, because um, they didn't. I don't think they started Purple Records until like the next year. Like I think it was seventy one that they started that. Um, and then that's the that's the full gatefold, and then the back cover where you've got uh, some more swarming Terry's, and then if you unfold the whole back of the album, you've got this whole scene here, which is. Uh, what we believe is these two buildings with pterodactyls. It looks like now when you look at it like this way with the, the album outfolded like that, it looks like all the pterodactyls are like swooping down at you. Like they're coming towards you, you know? Yeah. That's kind of uh yeah, it's definitely unsettling, a little more menacing. That's kind of cool. I like that. They did like the, that album art where it's like you open up the back and the front, they all work together. You know, you've seen that on other albums like fireball or down to earth or all these other albums where it makes a cool yeah, album like cover. But when you open it up, it's cap. Remember that captain beyond album was it? I was uh, just going to say that was the craziest example of that. Cause you open it up, you're like, the hell's going on these, in this building. All these freaks going <laughs> into this building. <laughs> But um, but yeah, this this definitely has that kind of like understated uh, early 70s art rock type of uh, vibe to it. 
And the um, the album cover was done by an old favorite of ours, which is Hypnosis, um, spelled H-I-P-G-N-O-S-I-S, who did a ton of album covers, including like, um, I think they did uh, the last couple Ozzy Black Sabbath album covers. They did... Um, uh, they did the the Rainbow JLT era covers. They did that uh, Difficult to Cure. Um, so they, they've done like a bunch of pretty well-known uh, album covers. If you look them up on, on Discogs or whatever, you'll, you'll see a bunch of them. They did uh, some Electric Light Orchestra, T-Rex, uh, Pink Floyd. Um, they, did, they did a lot of really cool album covers. So I don't know when they stopped business. I think it was like in the, uh, in the 80s or something. But um, so, yeah. And then uh, when you look at the record itself, you get that traditional yellow and green harvest label on both sides. And then it was re-released in 1975 with this album cover, which was like some pterodactyls hatching out of eggs. I don't know why they oh. felt the need. I, I, I hate it when they change album covers. Like, <laughs> I don't understand why you would do that and still keep the pterodactyl theme, but they did. Yeah. Yeah, it looks like a really... It's like, wow, the most fucked up Easter egg hunt ever. <laughs> They're all like, ah! Their tongue's sticking out. <laughs> Help! Yeah, exactly. But yeah, I mean, I guess it's, I don't know, it's kind of a cool album cover, the, the, the what do you call it, re-release, but I don't know if I really, I think the pterodactyls kind of spoil it. You know, they made them look a little cheap. Yeah, yeah, I don't, I don't understand why you'd mess with. Look better on the original. Mess with the original here. Um... All right. So that's pretty much it. Don't have a ton of there's not a ton of info out there about this album. Um, I'll put some links in the show notes to a few cool sites. This is one of those it, w when I was looking up for stuff about this album, I start seeing these sites that I was probably look these sites in like the um, I was probably looking at these sites in the in the 90s uh, when I was, you know, getting interested in, in this sort of stuff, because these sites don't look like they've been updated since these like very like GeoCity mm. style sort of sites. But, um, yeah, I'll put some links in the show notes so you guys can check it out. Um, but before we do that, there is something that we must do. And that is, of course, what else but to thank our core level patrons. Coming in at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader and Richard Fusey. At the $6.99 New Nice Price tier, we have Fielding Fowler. At the episode $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, and Anton Glaving. At the $6.65 Almost Evil tier, Kenny Wymore. At the $5.99 The Nice Price tier, Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, Michael Bagford, and Carl Helberg. At the 60 Kroner tier, the Scandinavian Knights tier, I'm sorry, Zwopper the Electric Alchemist, and Newt Morton Johansson. And at the $5 Moneylender tier, we have John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi the Perfect Stranger Slepikoff, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Will Porter, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, Scott Zerns, Cynthia Doobie, and Raf Kaff. Thank you so much to all of you for your support of the deep purple podcast all right well with that here we are um kind of had some theories i can't remember if we talked about them before we started recording but um not i don't think this album is necessarily in your wheelhouse so it'd be interesting to see how you you feel about it and i haven't listened to it in quite a while so um and and i don't know that i've ever listened to it really focused on it too so it'll be interesting to see how it is 
Are you ready to uh, to dive into it? Is the album long? Um, there's some long songs. <laughs> oh boy. Okay. Well, I just like this isn't in your wheelhouse, and there are some long songs. I'm like, all right, let me let me strap in here. <laughs> there's also some short songs, so it's all right. Yeah, so here we go. We'll see. Um, see if this is. Hopefully you got sound here. Uh, but this is the opening track, Entropy. So a very short one minute track to open the album. Not much there to that one. It's just uh, kind of setting setting the stage, and that's uh, it. Sounds like mostly um, maybe organ and maybe synth combined. Was there like um? Did I hear like a skipping? It did sound like that, didn't it? Right. Like I mean, was that uh, was that intentional or was that like uh, was there a problem with? My I don't connection? know. I heard it too. All right, because I feel like that was probably. I mean, at the time it was recorded, you know, they were probably doing some experimental type stuff. So I'm like, maybe well, we'll it's know that. if they're skipping in the next track. Hmm. So what do you think of that one? Hard, very hard to rate songs like this because it's not really even a song. Yeah. Yeah, I know. Um, I mean, I don't know. I mean, it wasn't. It wasn't like bad or anything, but I mean, it was just like you said, it was just, yeah, like what do you say about it? Yeah. Thing. So I don't know. Two. All right. I guess I still got to get into the damn spreadsheet here. All right. go. I'm going to give it a three. I, that's usually my default for oh. a non-objectionable instrumental interlude. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with it. Mm. Um, it's a nice little start. So um, the next song. Uh, which we'll get right into because there's not much more to say about that one, I don't think, is a song that will be familiar to most people listening to the show, which is Black Sheep of the Family. This is the uh, this this song was um, written by Steve Hammond, uh, who was a member of the Chris Barber band, who's that band that played uh, Swanks and Swells from uh, Wizards Convention. He was the guitarist in that band um, and he wrote this song, Black uh, Black Sheep of the Family. Quatermass recorded it, and then this is what heard Richie heard and wanted to bring to Deep Purple and Stormbringer, which they rejected. So he said, I'm leaving Deep Purple so I can go record this with Rainbow. <laughs> oh, yeah. So this is this is this is probably like when Rainbow started out drew a lot of extra attention. So you see that re-release in 1975. I think that was mostly fueled by people saying, Ooh, what is this? song black sheep of the family let me find the original and it, it drummed up a lot of interest for this album and uh, so they probably made a re-release to do that that's just my speculation but i have heard some things about uh the this song uh being one of the things that drew people to to this band so all right so here we go with black sheep of the family 
nearing the trailing end of entropy there. I don't know why they cut that track where they did, but... So you're getting like cool piano and organ going here. An acoustic piano, like the, the lower end, is always really heavy sounding. Yeah. You know, it's, I think, when we originally heard John Gustafson on the Butterfly Ball, we thought that. That was a Dio, one of the Dio songs. He does have a similar voice. Yeah, a little bit. Yeah. When he, when we, I think, watch out for the bat. We, we thought that was a Dio for a while. I remember. It's not as obvious here, though. No, no. But yeah, they're definitely uh, worse people to be compared to. I've heard of worse. why Steve Hammond wrote this I think this is the earliest version of the song so yeah I don't think he did a version of this so I'm not sure why it was given to Quater Mess I like it clearly it made an impression on Richie the song that ended in Mark 3 Uh, that's crazy to think about. I mean, if it wasn't that, it would have been something else. <laughs> yeah, I mean, probably a, a contributing factor. Not the only thing. Oh, I don't like how they faded it out. You don't like the fade out? No, I don't know. It, it just feels like they were like, they weren't done and they're the... Producer was just like, eh, I got to fade this shit out. <laughs> like in the middle of it, it's just it sounded like a very awkward kind of. Yeah, like it out. didn't sound like it was quite done yet. Yeah. It's just like, all right, we got to cut this short. Or it's going to go on for another seven minutes. <laughs> 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 
<laughs> we knew we need to save that for the other tracks on the album. Mm, oh boy. All right. So what do you think <laughs> of black sheep of the family? <clears throat> Uh, I mean, uh, this has never been uh, one of my favorite songs uh, from uh, uh, when when Rainbow did it. I just kind of listened to it because it was part of the album. But um, um, I think that this version, I might actually like it better than the Rainbow version. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. I thought it was uh, I thought it was pretty good. I'll give it um, I'll give it a three point five. All right. Um, yeah, I thought it was pretty decent. I liked how the the piano kind of made it heavy, you know, it held down that the bottom end and the, there were these uh, kind of soaring organs, keyboards. And um, I like the vocals too. I mean, I love Ronnie, obviously, yeah. but, um, I, and of course we were just talked about how, you know, his voice is very Ronnie-esque, um, not as much. I, I mean, I wouldn't have mistaken him for Dio on this, but um, I kind of like what he did with the the chorus a little bit more. Um, it, it just, it sounded a little more free flowing, whatever. I mean, I don't know by the time maybe they got it to rainbow, it was a little, um, I don't know, maybe, maybe the version they cut in the studio or whatever, just, it sounded kind of, I don't know, ordinary compared to this. This one had a, you know, sound a little looser, a little heavier. I think it was slower too, right? The town, a little bit slower tempo. Yeah. It might've been. Yeah. Uh, either way, I thought it was a pretty good version. Yeah. I'll give it a 3.5 as well. I, I I love his vocals on this. I think his, his just like his really soulful t- towards the end too. Um, I just, I think he's just a great vocalist and a great bass player. Mm-hmm. So I don't think you hear much of much of his bass playing on this, but uh, the vocals are, are great. So um, that brings us to our first long track, which is called post-war Saturday echo, which is a, um, well, let's just get right into it because we'll probably have time to talk about it during the song. <laughs> mm. Here we go. Oh God, nine minutes. <laughs> it's closer to 10. That, that didn't make me feel better. Starting off with kind of an avant-garde little, and the, you know, they're known to be a pretty proggy band, so. You know, this is coming on the heels of the first three Deep Purple albums from like a song like April or something like that. You know, this would this this sort of thing would be right at home on one of those albums. Sure. Yeah. What's going on? Another fade. This is like a real this is like a real pastiche here. Now, my feelings on this song are that it's a little Pink Floyd-esque, which for me would be a plus, and you probably not as much. All right, I can see that. Pink Floyd, if Pink Floyd were better singers. You get this really affected far off distant sounding voice like like he's singing from like across the room at the mic you know and they're just playing a real quiet blues groove over it (laughs) 
Actually, it kind of reminds me of like uh, that first Zephyr album a little bit. Yeah. With them. So the vocals are tolerable. <laughs> More palatable. <laughs> But like we talk about so many times on this show, you're hearing a very dynamically diverse album so far. John was saying he was tired before the episode. The song like this might might get him sawn logs. <laughs> I mean, the song is definitely a vibe. Yeah, and I, I, that's I. I miss that, like in a lot of albums like that. And that's something that got me into Pink Floyd a lot is just getting this like really cool laid back vibe where they might just drone on one thing for five minutes. And, you know, they call it stoner music. And I was never a stoner, so I could never appreciate it from that level. But but, you know, just 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 like hanging out and just being really mellow and listening to it in the background while you're doing something. And it's just. But here we go as it picks up and it's like this is where like they'd have a cool blues guitar solo, but there's no guitar. <laughs> so here comes the organ. That's that's all right. Love an organ. Love a soaring organ. I was never a stoner, but I think I'm going to crack open my first beer I've had in like two weeks. <laughs> that that doesn't make you... Having a beer does not make you a stoner. No, no. It's my vice. Beer and chocolate. I filled up a little ramekin with chocolate chips before I came downstairs and my daughter tried to steal one. And I slapped her hand. Get out of here. These are my, these are my recording chips. Chocolate chips. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I like that as a uh, as a little sweet snack sometimes. Yeah, just a little ramekin. Oh, here we go. Like oh, this is like this cool jazz piano solo. Tasty little bass fill there. I don't know why it's making me think of Mr. Rogers. <laughs> because the the meandering piano. Yeah, yeah, like little like meandering sort of piano. <laughs> Oh, I uh, see. I just love those dynamics. And this is like a like a stripped down Pink Floyd. Kind of makes me wonder, like, why they didn't have a guitar player. I think that would have really rounded some stuff out. I mean, I personally like what I'm hearing, but it's ballsy to have 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> it's ballsy to have a trio in, in any respect. But especially in this in this age to not have a guitar player, it's crazy. Well, I mean, hey, look at look at the uh, look at the doors. They didn't have a bass player. That's right. I think <laughs> I think it was was it I think it was my cousin Jeff is like the doors. He's like they don't they don't have a bass player. He's like yeah, no wonder they suck. <laughs> I think it was him that said that. Regardless, let's just say that he did. It's getting frantic. Yeah, he must have some sort of Moog or Bukla or something that he's using here. Sounds like a late 70s, early 80s video game. Yeah, it sounds like an Atari. Yeah, they kind of lost me there. Yeah, that's not really your thing. <laughs> but I mean, this is this has got a pretty good melody, like good vocals. Yeah, the only thing I will say about it is that, that part was very short. If they had gone on too long with that, that would have been a little much. And Underwood is a really great dynamic drummer. Let's see if I can find out some more information on Robinson's rig for this album. You know what? What um, the Zephyr song sounds like? Um, uh, Saint James Saint, Infirmary. Yeah, that's the one. Yep. So, if you Google Quatermass, it comes up with some of those Google questions like you were talking about earlier. It says, "Is Quatermass a real name?" It says the surname is the one million nine hundred sixty-seven thousand seven hundred fifty-first most commonly held last name on a global scale, born by approximately one in eighty million people. The name is most commonly found in Oceania, where 42% of Quatermass live. 42% live in Australia, and 42% what? A frantic ending. So wait, it's like Quatermass is a last name. It's a last name, yeah. So I think because I think the the, sh- the TV show Quatermass was about a guy named Quatermass, but uh-huh. the, but what I don't understand is this: forty two percent live in Australia and forty two percent live in Australia and New Zealand. So I don't know what that means. Um, 
But there you go. That means it's a percentage that's unaccounted for. Yeah, but 42% in Australia and 42% in Australia and New Zealand. So that doesn't make any sense. No. But anyway, Mm -hmm. throughout Oceania, you can find the Quater Mass. All right, John, what do you think about post-war Saturday Echo? By the way, that was written by Robinson Gustafsson and Ross, um, who was... um, uh, Ross was Graham Ross, who doesn't really have too many other credits on uh, on Discogs. So I don't know. He, he looks like he might have been done a little conducting, a little writing, uh, but not too much else. All right. What do you think of that I, one? I, I give it a three. Um, right. I, I, yeah, I, th- I thought it was um, I mean, it was long, but I mean, it was um, it was good. It was a good jam in parts. I mean, it was. um you know, definitely one of those songs that we talk about that you would want to put it on and just kind of like vibe to it. Like, yeah, let's let's hang out and create this mood and smoke a doob. Yeah. Let's smoke some or, doobies or just like, like get trashed. <laughs> <laughs> just like something to be mellow to. There were yeah. a couple of like that Atari sounding part in there was kind of weird, but um, I think the. The uh, the the performance was um, was good though. Like I mean, the the vocals and the music you could you could feel like the uh, the uh, the uh, the intensity and like the kind of the passion coming through. Um, mm-hmm. I thought it was I thought it was pretty good, um, albeit a little long. But I mean, I don't I don't know how you could make a song like this anything other than like you can't have like a three minute song that sounds like this. I mean, yeah, just when it know? starts, it's like doom 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 da. It's like it's such right. a slow tempo that you right. have to stretch it out. Um, I will give this one a three point five. I really like it. I like the vibe that it sets. Um, I think the effect on the vocal. I mean, this is you got to think again. This is nineteen seventy, really early on. So you know, production is still not quite. You know, apart from some select bands like say the Beatles, there wasn't a lot of amazingly produced music coming out at this time. Um, Some great classic stuff that really holds up, but, um, you know, unless you were like a Beatles or a Rolling Stone, you weren't getting the top of the line production. Um, So like some of the, the choices, like having that far away effect on the vocal is really interesting, but I'm, I can't help but wonder what it would sound like if it was just mic'd a little closer. Cause this is like, you know, me, whatever, how many, 12 inches from the mic. But if it's like, if it was from back here and I was doing the show that it sounds like he's singing from way back here. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know that that effect, while it's cool, I, I don't know if it would have been better if they closed mic'd it. Mm-hmm. Almost makes me wonder if he was doing a guide vocal track, like in the room. And they just like they liked the effect, so they just left it in, you know, like, oh, that's kind of cool. Let's just leave it. We won't even do the the final vocals. We'll leave it because that far away effect. Yeah, I feel like it's not too much of a stretch for, um, you know, for the the vocals or the recording techniques to be kind of um, experimental, especially around this time. So I, I feel like it was probably, you know, purposeful. Yep. All right, so that brings us to our next track, which is called Good Lord Knows. A shorter one. 
Another atmospheric beginning here. It's like a harpsichord. This one was written by Gustafsson. This is very 60s sounding. Yeah, probably because of the harpsichord sound. Here come the strings. <laughs> Make love with our wives. <laughs> I think that's what he said, yeah. That's that's not very anti-establishment. <laughs> it's a really nice uh, string arrangement. very Beatles-esque in the string arrangement department. That's like, yeah, like within you, without you sort of ending. Mm. Sounds like if that was all done by all done on sitar, that would be that would be a George Harrison song on a Beatles album. Oh, boy. <laughs> Make love with our wives. Make love with our whores. <laughs> <laughs> See, well, actually, can, can you? No, you can't really make love with a whore. Make love. Mm. I mean, guess just, depends. Yeah, I don't know how you want to use I the just term. Think it was a funny, uh, just kind of a funny, <laughs> funny <laughs> lyric because it's just it sounds so like 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 innocent, like with like they're recording and they're looking back at their wives like, with our wives. <laughs> and they're just wink, like, wink. yeah, yeah, that's right. You better. No yeah. groupies for you. It was like he was in the he was in the booth singing, and then he saw in the window like his wife walked in. And he's like, "With our wives, <laughs> <laughs> saved it." <laughs> What's yeah, that lyric sheet? Be with- hey, can I see that lyric sheet? No, 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 no. Yeah, let me cross off random chicks. <laughs> <laughs> random <laughs> chicks. <laughs> it didn't scan as well anyway. <laughs> mm. All right, what do you think about that one? Um, I'll give it a 2.5. 
Um, I, I thought I actually thought it was pretty good. I like some of the the the, the melodies that are going on mm-hmm. here, um, but I feel like this is a song that was shorter. But I feel like it could have built up to something bigger. Like it feel like it was building up to a crescendo and some kind of like more like another three minutes or something like that. And it just kind of stayed where it was. So, I mean, um, not bad, but I don't think it really went anywhere, but I mean, it was still, um, uh, a pleasant enough. Um, I thought it was pretty, pretty good song. Um, just okay. I mean, I'm, I'm surprised at how much like I, uh, really, uh, for it, for it, not you predicting it, not being my cup of tea. Um, like uh, that I'm actually enjoying it. Like, I don't think I'd like put it on in the car or anything or <laughs> you just, you know, on a hot summer day, you roll down your windows <laughs> and you're like, make love wives. <laughs> you stop it here at a stoplight and somebody's looking at what the hell is this guy listening to? Yeah, I'm feeling it. I'm <laughs> rocking out. Like, it's Quatermass. <laughs> you got to check these guys out. <laughs> Hottest band in 1970. It's like, oh, Um, but, um, but yeah, it's definitely like, I feel like it's coming together. Like the, the, the album cover and the type of music that I felt would be contained within it it does make sense. Yeah. Um, that being said, um, okay. I I hear good, good elements in here. Um, Yeah. I'll, uh, um, I'll give it a 2.5 as well. Um, I thought the string arrangement at the end was like, amazingly well done very well produced recorded arranged hmm. um and you know it 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 sounds like to, so far what i'm hearing is like a band that's not fully formed yet you know what i mean like great ideas mm-hmm. great musicianship some really good stuff but it reminds me of like those hughes compositions on like the first trapeze album where there's like these little bits of like oh man like you're hearing like Unfortunately, Quatermass never had a Medusa follow-up, but I feel like mm. if, if this is where they're starting, and this is really strong material for the time and for them being together for such a short, short period of time, even though at this point they're pretty well-established musicians, but um, I, I feel like it, it, it's a shame it didn't go beyond this because mm. uh, it, it, I think it's a really interesting, good foundation and start. So. Although I'd rather listen to this than the first trapeze. Oh, well, yes, yes. <laughs> that is for, uh, Yeah, apart from there's a couple really good tracks on that, but there's too many tracks. And, and the, yeah, I would say I prefer this one by sure, for sure. Um, all right. So the next one is another Gustafsson solo composition. And this one is called Up on the Ground. This is a really nice, nice riff, nice heavy groove. Yeah, yeah, nice driving keyboard riff there. Kind of a distorted sound. Yeah, that, and that right like channel, it sounds like it's, yeah, it's like it's overdriven to the point yeah, where it's very like, overdriven.
bass and that organ together are just killer. I just I wish his vocals were a little more close mic'd on this one too. Yeah, because I love what yeah, he's it's doing. Yeah, very but echoey. It's just very a little in the too background. Distant. Yeah. You know, this reminds me a little bit of Grand Funk. Yeah. Because they had a very, like, kind of uh, overdriven bass-forward sound. And in particular, this song with the the stop, like, they played this riff and then they stop and he sings, sounds like Sin's a Good Man's Brother from uh, Closer to Home, which is the mm. opening track, like this part. It's almost like they... That part is almost like lifted from that song. Although that that could have been a year or two after this, so don't quote me on that. But it's not a bad thing. I like how they're rocking out with no guitar, though. Oh, yeah. Making it happen. already exhausted the lyric sheet so I don't know if we're getting into some proggy territory here or if they're going to come back to it that's like a butterfly ball feeling right there yeah this is another like Pink Floyd breakdown See, I could I could just jam out to this all day. This is great. I like that. Like the keyboard on the back saying, <laughs> "It's like a John Lord sort of thing too." Like just raking yeah, but across it's like those this strings. little like pew, like yep. pew pew. <laughs> Yeah, this is this is some good stuff. And these guys just really, really gel together well. see by John Gustafson's song titles that he likes uh, you know up on the ground he likes these like opposite sort of things like he has that um, one song I think we played on a very early episode is a bonus track on this album mm-hmm. but not on the album proper and it's called One Blind Mice so he likes to kind of like do a little wordplay there I don't even know if it's wordplay it just kind of throws you off yeah, they're getting super quiet again.
It's like now like a little mouse is playing the riff. So quiet. Oh. feeling they're gonna go back to the lyrics now They might just be riffing out to the end. No, there we go. Oh, no, I was wrong. Very weird lyrics. If I didn't have the lyric sheet, I, just, I would not be able to tell what he's saying. Oh. A spooky ending. It says, sleeping in the park on a Tuesday morning, rolling in the dark, waiting for the zookeeper's warning. Hmm. And then he says, 15 cakes to bake with my Monday joint. I don't know what to make, but I know just where to point. Uh, very early 70s yeah. <laughs> froggy type lyrics. Yeah. Interesting. Yes. All right. Up on the ground. John, what do you say about that one? Uh, it was pretty, uh, it was pretty good. I'll give it a, I'll give it a three. Thought it was, um, I mean, a little, little repetitive, mm-hmm. um, but I mean, once again, I think that um, looks like the direction that this album is going in is, is that this is a collection of songs that you would put on to chill out to, not necessarily, like we said, all, all kidding aside, you're not rocking out to this, like speeding down the highway or putting it on to like get the party going or anything. You would put this on to, to to jam out to like get the party like winding down or if you're just chilling out or um you, you want some mood music because this has got a lot of like mood to it or if they um, want everyone to leave the party so they can make love with their wives <laughs> or if you want to scare people away like uh that was that that part where you said it sounds like <laughs> It sounds like a little mouse is playing this part. <laughs> I just picture him with his little his little mouse fingers like playing the keyboard, like <laughs> <laughs> and, then, and then the big part comes back and he's like and then he, he goes runs away. away. Right into his little his little <laughs> mouse, mouse hole. He scurries away. And goes to sleep in his sardine can with a little tin thing rolled down. <laughs> it's like Tom and Jerry. <laughs> Um, I'd uh, give it a 3.5. I like that one. I like that groove. I like that um, uh, that riff. I like the yeah, dynamics. I like the ups and downs throughout this album. But yeah, like to your point, like you could rock out to this song, but you know, you're like the good Lord knows song is like really like low key post-war Saturday echoes really low key. So 
Black Sheep of the Family and this one are the only two rockers so far. So, yeah, you'd have to. But I mean, I feel like you kind of like it's like a slow, like, you know what I mean? Like you're rocking out to it. It's kind of like a slow, like nod your head like, yeah. Yep. Yep. Kind of rock. Rocking out. I don't think that Jonathan has a really good uh, phrase he uses. He calls it uh, it calls them dinosaur riffs. Because it sounds like when a dinosaur is walking. <laughs> I don't think this one quite fits into that, but I love that expression because it's so, you know exactly no, what true, it means. Yeah. You know, when you mm-hmm. hear it, you're like, dun, 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 dun. this one could almost be that, you know, <laughs> it's close. Yeah. No, I mean, if there was, if there, if there was a guitar in it, I would say that would qualify. Yep. Um, okay. So the next track up is a track called... Gemini. This one was written by um, Steve Hammond, the same guy that wrote The Black Sheep of the Family. Yeah, this one, the, the tempo picks up quite a bit. I like it. Hey, as soon as I said it. <laughs> they were waiting for you to say it. <laughs> and now we're in church service. All right, well, it started off hot out of the gate. That's interesting because you think you know where that song's going and it takes you a completely different direction. Yeah, I didn't expect it to go here quite yet. Oh, okay. <laughs> okay, all right. All right, so they're, they're fond of drawing the uh, drawing it out before they get back into it. It's fine. So far, this is a very bizarre arrangement. Yeah. I know if I'm liking this. It's, it's like breaking the flow here. <laughs> I like it's what they my did. It's buzz, it, man. It puts you in a completely different mood. And I'm a but if they do it, if they do that like four more times in the song, it's going to be like, OK, all right. <laughs>
we'll listen to that bass. As far as the lyrics go, though, I'm I'm not like, you know, sometimes I'm up, sometimes I'm down, sometimes I'm smiling, sometimes I frown. It's like, all right, uh-huh. I get it. I mean, in 1970, I guess that's <laughs> what mm-hmm. you'd get. <laughs> like lyrics 101. <laughs> it's like, did Ozzy write these lyrics? Tearing it up on this organ, though. that he has that like effect on those other songs and on this one it's so his voice is so dry yeah Is John Gustafson a Gemini? He is not. He's a Leo. All right. Mm, almost like a Black Sabbath War Pigs ending. Yeah, yeah right. A little speed up there. Um, yeah. You know, the best thing about John Gustafson, that's uh, that's Jack Lemmon's character's name in Grumpy Old Men. That's right. You dumb friggin' Swede. <laughs> Such a great movie. Well, it's Mr. Gustafson. Gustafson, yeah. John Gustafson, but it's, if you change it. It's Gustafson. Shut up, you dumb friggin' Swede. <laughs> Is it Gustafson? I thought it was Gustafson. No, it's Gust- Gustafson, Gustafson. In, the, in the movie. Yeah, yeah, so it's the same spelling, just pronounced different. Right, right. So, I mean, it's the same without you really realizing it. Exactly. Just like, yeah, because that tax guy comes around, he's like, Mr. Gustafson. Mr. Gustafson said, you know, he keeps saying oh, it yeah, over yeah. and over. And then and he looks at it. He didn't know who he was. He's like, have you seen Mr. Gustafson? Walter Matthau's like, you mean the pervert? <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> like, yeah. And he's right. standing right there. He's like, 
Uh, he's always sneaking around, bothering girls. He's just like, uh, the man's a menace. He could be anywhere. I mean, he hasn't taken his medication. <laughs> he's like busting his balls with them right there. It's great. Great movie. All right, uh, Gemini, what do you think? Hmm. All right, back to the... <laughs> oh, no. I, gave, I accidentally gave it a seven. Wait. <laughs> This is the, the the greatest song that has ever happened. <laughs> Sometimes I'm up. Um, um, you know what? I'll give this one a 2.5. I would give it a three, but I'm going to deduct. Let me try that again. All right. Start over. <laughs> I'm we'll going to, I'm out. going to. All right. No, leave it. Um, <laughs> I'm not going to edit. I wasn't going to edit it out. Are you kidding me? <laughs> you jerk. I'll never be able to go back and find that. You menace. I am a menace um, and a pervert. <laughs> uh, he could be anywhere. <laughs> um, yeah, I'll deduct a, uh, a little bit uh, just because I feel like if that song, if you shortened it by like a couple of minutes and you kept it going at that, that pace that it started with and just had it be a, a, a straight on like up-tempo rocker, I think it would have been better. Yep. Um, I don't mind the slow down part, but it's like, I feel like they could have saved that for like a middle part to like slow it down and then bring it back up again instead of doing it like after every yeah. um, uh, chorus or whatever. Um, but um, I mean, I did like the, I did like the kind of up-tempo nature of it. And um, it's really, um, his vocals really reminding me more of Mark Farner from Grand Funk. Mm. here than Dio. Um, yeah. And I, I think it's like uh, a lot of it has to do with around this time. I feel like they both use the same production because I'm drawing a lot of um, similarities between this and uh grand funk because they were really minimalist mm -hmm. in terms of um, the way they produced. They were kind of these uh, kind of creaky, like uh, aged, like you can tell now it's like, yeah, this was recorded a while ago. Um, so the, I, I want to say they haven't aged well, but I mean, you can tell that the production is very uh, like late sixties, early seventies kind of bare bones. Um, and like the vocals had this really dry quality to him, but he has that same um, bright high type voice that, that Farner does. And um, you know, the drums kind of had that, creaky sound to them almost like that or like in rock or you know that really kind of early 70s underproduced type of sound so it's I, I i think it's still it's pretty good but the the song arrangement does leave a little to be desired because just as you're gaining momentum it's just like you're like oh come on now we're back in church <laughs> exactly um yeah i give it a 2.5 as well uh for all the same reasons that you just listed and um yeah, like much, much like Grand Funk or even Trapeze for that point, there's like it's a trio that just leaves. There's a lot of room and that's not that's not a bad thing. Um, there's not it's not so busy. There's not so much going on and the the, the dynamics. Let it breathe a little, too. So um, I enjoy it. OK, next track up is Make Up Your Mind. This is another one by Hammond. Listen to that bass. Bass. 
Like, really, if you told me that this was a Grand Funk outtake from around this time, I wouldn't believe you. This song didn't beat around the bush either. Just got right into it. No long uh, synth intro or anything. But this song and the next song are two long ones, and then you got a reprise of the intro. Hmm. I just can't. How is he playing that on the bass and singing at the same time? Or maybe they just didn't do this live, or maybe he's just <laughs> that good. Yeah. That's a that's a busy bass yeah. bass line. It's awesome. minute and 40 seconds in and they're through the lyrics oh spooky ringing noise like a horror movie this is one where like man trippy vibes man think I got some bad stuff Writing credit goes to Hammond, but this has to be like some sort of impromptu jam they're throwing in here. Tight. (laughs) (laughs) That's great. playing Mario. It's a nasty, dirty bass. Sounds like you can hear like the snare, the snares rattling while he's playing it. You know, it's like 
You know, they're definitely out in the stratosphere on this one. <laughs> very, uh, very proggy. Oh, listen to that sleazy beat they're throwing in right here. I'm not usually a big proggy sort of guy, but I think they have enough groove to them and they get back to little riffs like this enough that it keeps my interest, you know? just like what kind of equipment they were using on this. So obviously we heard piano, we've heard a lot of organ, we've heard some synths of unknown origin. Our good pal Ian DeRosier loves Quatermass and he's a yeah. Big Hammond guy. Anything with strong Hammond in it like this, he's a sucker for. So I can see why he likes this album. <laughs> this is no shortage of amazing Hammond soloing on this. No, it is. It's good. I'm surprised we didn't see him pop up more in various uh, Deep Purple offshoots. inner deep the inner uh, Pink Floyd fan in me is digging this Reminded me of Seafull a little bit. Hmm. That was <laughs> kind of out of nowhere. Oh, that was, wow, that was a that was a tricky transition there. You just did a double take. <laughs> they just snuck it in. They were like, Rip.
All right, John, make up your mind now. What do you think of that song? That was a journey. It was a journey and a half. Mm, yes, and and definitely, and, and then some. Um, I mean, I thought there was some good stuff in there, definitely some good playing, but I, I give it a 2.5 for the... Uh, um, I don't know. What, what do you call it? The, um, the progginess. <laughs> no, the, um, I got the word at the tip of my tongue now. Fatigue factor. Ah, uh, yes. Um, it was just like, it was just very long all over the place. I mean, there was really no song structure. It was, uh, I mean, there was some impressive, playing in there obviously there was some good good sounds i mean um it was impressive what they were doing but i mean it's it, i think if you're into this type of thing you're just going to be like whoa this blows my mind um but like i can't really follow it so for me to go from like point a to point b beginning to end of the song it's just kind of like all right there's really nothing there so um but i mean all the stuff in the middle like i said um while it's while it's good, it's impressive. It's definitely some cool Hammond stuff, some cool bass sounds, and uh, the bass line very intricate. Yeah, you know, it was just like a lot of, um, just a lot of Prague. Mm-hmm. Too much Prague for me. Too much Prague. Um, I will also give it a two point five. I did love the bass playing, and I really like the instrumental parts but i think that you know make up your mind na, 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 na. that like i feel like that sandwiched on both ends of the song was almost kind of unnecessary for mm. the stuff that was in the middle um yeah to just like bring it back you know? yeah but i i did like the really like the the inter intermediary groove and instrumental that they had in the middle for sure um the next track is the longest track on the album and it is the penultimate track. After that, we just get a quick little reprise of that intro. That's even shorter than the first one. Mm-hmm. Um, and this song is uh, this one is a uh, Robinson track written by, and it is called Laughing Tackle. Little quick, quick bass, uh, quick bluesy bass line. very quiet got something sinister going on back there not what you'd expect to accompany this bluesy bass line it's like very spooky sort of piano and organ in the background coming up now. Thank you. 
So this track is an instrumental. Oh, okay. I was waiting for some vocals. I mean, you never know what, what to expect with these guys. It could just change on a dime and it could be like... I guess I'll be waiting for a while. He's just been keeping this baseline up the entire time. Until I mentioned it. <laughs> that seems to be the, uh, yeah, what happens with us. Cool strings coming in. Hmm. Okay, we're doing a little something a little bit more here. I can't some get other over textures. how good the strings sound on this album. They sound so good. Yeah, they do. Like the rest of the stuff is produced well, but the strings sound like on a different level. So when we first started doing the podcast and we mentioned Quatermass, thinking that we'd want to one day get around to it, what, what episode would you have guessed back then we would have done this on? Uh, like way earlier. Like episode 18? <laughs> yeah, just because it, it was such a, a big talking point for us in the beginning, or they were just mentioned so much. So... Oh, are they going to do an album drum solo? <laughs> These I don't like. Those drums are so dry sounding. It sounds good, but... You're playing with fire, guys. <laughs> Just there's no, 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 re no real balls behind it. Yeah. It just sounds like somebody's playing drums in a studio, which is not very bombastic. I think they sound good, but I don't... Yeah. I mean, I realize that the time of uh, long solos for everybody... So we probably want to show off them chops. 
He's been showing him off the whole album, though. Bass solo. <laughs> I think he could do more than that. He's <laughs> bass solo. Dun, dun. <laughs> All right. Well, mercifully, it wasn't that long. No, but probably too long for an album. The album drum solo is is something that's almost unprecedented. This and Warhorse, like the only two I can think of that had a drum solo. The Warhorse one was like five minutes long, though. <laughs> Maybe I'm just imagining oh. it that way, but it seemed like it lasted forever. Uh, yeah, it seemed like it lasted. It seems like it's still going on somewhere. Yeah. Yeah, they're definitely they're going full on avant garde at the end of this album here. Wow. That's a really cool effect. Sounds like the soundtrack well, of a horror movie. Yeah. <laughs> Well, not this part. Unless this part's like the killer, like sauntering through the woods <laughs> with his oh, knife. I just killed some people. <laughs> yeah, but that orchestral part was very horror movie score. Yeah. Like, almost reminds me. Like this part kind of reminds me of, um, like, like Windows, like by John Lord, where it's like. It's, hmm. it's it's just very interesting to listen to. It's a very compelling thing to listen to, but it's definitely out there. Hmm. But I'm telling you, if they had gotten past this and done another album or, or two... You know, who would have thought listening to April on the last Deep Purple album that they'd come out with in rock after that, you know, mm, it, yeah. it, it sounded like, OK, this is just they're completely out there <laughs> at the end of that album. Oh, for sure. Pretty cruel that, that they credit every single individual string player on this album. Like usually, these bands will just say like, "Oh, it was some string ensemble or whatever." They yeah. actually credit the Royal everybody. Philharmonic Orchestra. That's no, usually they they're like the uh, not getting the Royal Philharmonic, but they'll be like the Blue River Sound Organization. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. This must have been a wild live 
fantasy. I wonder what they were what they were doing. Look like you're looking behind you. <laughs> you expect to see a killer there. <laughs> it's dark. It's really dark behind you, man. I'd be turning on some lights. I'm scared. <sighs> see, I blurred my background. <laughs> so no, we don't know. We don't know what's coming up from behind. Could be uh. anything. It's John's hand, though. All right. Laughing Tackle. That's a interesting name for a song. John? Mm. What do you think of Laughing Tackle? I ain't laughing. <laughs> Tell you that. Um man, that was um kind of a hard listen. I give it a two. All um right. I mean, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go, doubt these guys chops or their ability. Um, but like this, this kind of song just doesn't do it for me. I mean, if you can even call it a song, it's, it's just more of like a, a jam. Like, uh, I don't, I don't know what went into it. I mean, I'm sure something went into it to plan out where the orchestra comes in and where all the different parts come in, but mm -hmm. it just, it's, you know, it doesn't hold my attention. So it's like a sound um, design almost. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's like uh, there were there were parts of it, like I keep saying, that sounded like it would it would be part of a soundtrack. So mm -hmm. really, this type of thing doesn't appeal to me because there's nothing for me to really latch onto a groove, a melody, something. You know, I, I like I like catchy songs. Mm -hmm. um, so while I can appreciate what they were trying to do here, um, I think it might have been a little mm, of the time, a little self indulgent. Mm -hmm. Um, but you know what? I mean, if that is what prog rock is, then, I mean, I've never professed to be a prog rock fan. So I guess this is why. Yeah. Fair enough. I, I will also give it a two. I have to subtract points for the album drum solo. <laughs> it's like, yeah, that was just, it's inexcusable to have a drum solo on an album. <laughs> yeah. That added, that added nothing. Some, if anything, some, it took away. Some people think it's inexcusable to have a drum solo live, but uh, I, I can deal with a drum solo live, but in an album setting. Yeah. I, I can't, I would love to hear from our listeners to see if there's any other examples, but the only two that I've ever heard have been on this show. It's been this and the, uh, the uh, Red Sea album by Warhorse. Mm. Um, so kind of unprecedented. All right. Mm. So just one super quick song. Um, and that is the reprise to Entropy. Funny that they didn't just call this part of the last song. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, like a really quiet singing in the back. Sounds like a woman's voice singing. Yeah. All right. 
I mean, I'm just, I'm just going to give it another two. Another two? All right, I'll give it... I'll give it a three. Another three. Because, again... I can't uh, find anything objectionable about it. It's just a little musical interlude or outro mm. or whatever you want to call it. Reprise. <sighs> and that's it. That is Quatermass. And um, while uh, John busts out the spreadsheet, I will do something, which is to thank all of our patrons and these are the patrons that come in at the foundation level and for that we have at the three pound aromatic feed tier we have simon ford at the three dollar 33 cent halfway to evil tier we have spike the rock cat and spike's mom at the three dollar nobody's perfect tier we have peter gardeau Ian DeRosier, Mark Roback, Duncan Leesk, Stuart McCord, Flight of the Rat Bat Blue Light, Ivan Fjeldboo, Runar Siemensen, J.J. Stenard, Ruinous Inadequacies, John Maselli. Excuse me, Angela. I think the expression is side of beef. <laughs> and Michael Boyette. Coming in at the $1.71 I Want My Own Tier Tier, we have... Rich, young, Shaylor. At the 10 kroner tier, we have Karsten Lau. At the one pound tier, we have Lord Longford. And at the $1 made up name tier, we have the good Lord only knows Leaky Mausoleum, Stephen Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic, Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel, and <coughs> Blackmore Tights. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous donations and support of the Deep Purple Podcast. We could not do it without you. All right, you know what time it is. All right, John, how does Quatermass stack up in our album ratings? It stacks up uh, not so good. <laughs> not so good. <laughs> Quatermass, uh, not so good. Like my, uh, I don't know what <laughs> I can't even remember it now. Your Czechoslovakian. My Czechoslovakian. It is not so good, and neither is Quatermass. <laughs> so um, this is this is um, predictably, I think, toward the bottom. Um, still, it beats out like all of that Nick Simper crap. <laughs> Unfortunately, except except Fandango, goddammit, it, is right above it. 
Well, that's uh, Jolyn Turner Fandango. Oh, okay, good. Nick Sipper Fandango is above that one. Oh, oh no. I think that we have to go back and redo some ratings so we can yeah, get simpler well, beds. Our ratings have adjusted. Adjusted for inflation, I think Quatermass beats uh, some of those. I know. Well, unfortunately, um, the the long the long and extended wait is uh, uh, for Quatermass is uh, for you Prague fans. It's not does not look so good. So it's a uh, five point four four. Um, I rated it. Um, lower than you did um and it is below fandango that's jlt's fandango i guess but above shades of deep purple and then you have trapeze war horse war horse episode six yeah when you look at all those Um, the the, the, you know the first trapeze album this shades of deep purple i mean they're all I mean, that's all of a similar era and, you know. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, it's basically you can tell all this shit at the bottom. This is like 60s experimental uh, kind of poorly, not not really. But yeah, but I guess poorly produced a meandering type of stuff. Not and necessarily then, in either of our wheelhouses. But that being said, I, yeah, exactly. I enjoyed the album. Like, I, you know, it's like something I put on and have on in the background. But it's yeah, it's not my. uh it's not going to beat up some of these, you know, it's not yeah, going to be mean, in the know, same it, league as, you know, Rainbow Rising or something. Right. Which I mean, um, uh, I think this is more of a, um, uh, a true uh, Prague album or a definition of something that would fit in better than when you hear Deep Purple being um, compared to or, or people would say they're a Prague band, which you don't hear a lot anymore um although i have heard there are some of the newer albums that um after perpendicular that we haven't reviewed yet that i've heard i've heard has been um described as getting into proggy territory um yeah i think it's not 60s prog but i mean it's just like that that kind of stuff was never in my wheelhouse it was never for me and again i can say that it's because the the really just long drawn out arrangements and uh, kind of experimental type of stuff never really um, did it for me. It never really excited me musically. Although, like I said, I can't appreciate the musicianship and what it takes into putting those arrangements together, but I don't necessarily like hearing it. Yeah. I I think there's a difference between 1969, 1970 Prague and Don Airy, 2005, proggy element thrown in a deep purple song it's, mm, it's a little right. more controlled and it, it it seems to work a little bit a little bit better but um yeah i mean overall i think it was an enjoyable album to listen to it was a lot of fun um but but yeah i, I think it's just it, it suffers from some of the limitations of the time and and i like i said the part you know like what if what if deep purple had put out one album and it was shades of deep purple would be like oh right. this is weird one album that kind of doesn't go anywhere right. and they, yeah they wouldn't they would have been a blip in the the radar of time you yeah know? it'd be really interesting to hear what would happen if Quatermass had continued to go on now they did have a reunion in 1997 mm-hmm. they did one more album so we'll have to get to that one day and that that one is particularly mm-hmm. interesting because Nick Simper is on bass and replaces John Gustafson and um Don Airy 
is in Quatermass 2. They call themselves Quatermass 2. So uh, Peter Robinson is the only um, constant. So uh, that would be really interesting too. That one I have not heard at all. And I think it's Mm. it's even more rare than this one or harder to find. Um, So it'd be interesting to hear that because there's even more. There's two direct members of Deep Purple in that actual band. And, Mm. um, you know, I'm sure it's going to be a lot different happening, you know, 20 years later. Um, 27 years later, I should say. Um, so yeah, that's, uh, that's Quatermass for you. And, uh, not, <laughs> that's Quatermass for you. That's Quatermass for you. Oh my God. Here's some Quatermass for you. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be great if Coverdale busted out a, a, a Quatermass cover. Um, but yeah, let us know what you think of Quatermass. Let us know what we got wrong. Let us know, um, uh, how this as as prog lovers how you uh, feel about this album because be be interesting to know and um, like I said I think it's a it's a fun one to listen to it's a very interesting piece of Deep Purple related history and um, uh, yeah some overall really interesting stuff to listen to so I don't know you got anything else for me Johnny nope nothing um, no. No, it's it's just so happens that I'm like, I think anybody watching the video, they see me yawning through this and it's just like, it's not, it's not because I thought the album or the episode was boring. It's just, I've been, I've been up since really early. So it's like, it's starting to, it's starting to hit Did me. Did you wake so. up at four today? Yeah. Oh, geez. Yeah. So. Yeah. And no, and no, no, like usually I'll, I'll do like a, like a nap, but I was, um. I was, I was, um, I was motivated today. Like I wasn't kidding because I told you daylight savings gave me like a false sense of security. I'm like, "Ah, I got plenty of time. I'm like, oh shit, we got to record in an (laughs) hour. We got to record in an hour because I'm so used I'm not used to it being light so late. So I'm just like, ah, it's like three in the afternoon and it was like six. (laughs) Like, oh shit. Well, you've, you've been up for 18 hours. So you've done, you've done yeoman service on this episode. I've done my duty. That's right. And uh, we have done our duty, I hope. And we'll be back with you next week with another new exciting topic. But what will it be? Whoa, you'll have to tune in to find out. All right, John. See you later. Good night. (laughs) Good. Good. Good night. Good night. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. Fielding followers asking if you were funny enough. You just he was asking if you were belching during the show. <laughs> I just did. Why? He was asking if you were belching during our most recent episode. Does he does he watch? I I don't know. I assume he listens. Well, no, I mean, because if you listen, I have the cough switch on, but it's just like if you're watching the video, I could be like this. I could be like 
Uh-oh. Here comes trouble. It's Randy. Hiya, Pee-wee. Hiya, Pod Terry. <laughs> That's pronounced Terry. The P is silent. Oh. Okay, Ewee. <laughs> oh. <laughs> White people taco night. A white people taco night. It's not limited to only white people, but white people love it the most. White people love it the most.